0: Hey everybody, it's Jimmy. Welcome or welcome back to the First Christian Church Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a second to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to visit hub.firstchristian.com where you can keep up with everything good that's going on here at FCC. Listen, here at First Christian, we believe that Jesus is for all people and yes, that absolutely includes you. So I want you to know we've been praying that this message will inspire you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Christmas. Man, it's good to see you guys. Welcome to First Christian. Uh, my name is Jimmy and I'm one of the pastors here at FCC and uh, it's my joy to uh, get to welcome you here to FCC today. And hey, man, it's such an honor to have you spending part of your day with us on Christmas Eve. Does it feel weird to anybody else that this is all like in the morning? I feel like we're supposed to be doing this at night. This feels weird. Uh, So actually we decided we're not going to call this a Christmas Eve service. We're going to call this a prayer service for the Cleveland Browns. And we're just going to spend the next half hour praying for a Christmas miracle that we can lock that wild card spot up. Okay, so let's bow our heads. No, man, it's uh, it's been a great morning already, and I'm really, really glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, before we go any further, I gotta tell you, um, the thing that you need to know about this church more than anything else is that we believe that Jesus was born for all people. We believe that Jesus is for all people. That means that He's for you. And you might not even know what that means. That might sound really, uh, really big, and vague and even uh, intimidating or weird, but man, Jesus cares about your life. He doesn't just see a crowd, He sees you, and, and you matter to him. And I have been praying for you all week. other people have been praying for you all week. I may not know your name or your story, but we've been expecting you, and more importantly, God knew you 'd be here right now. And I never believe anybody's here by accident. That's kind of the point today, so hang on to that idea. I never believe anybody's here by accident. You may be here today because it's Christmas Eve, and this is what you do. You go to church. So Maybe somebody dragged you here kicking and screaming today. Maybe you're here because you're trying to piece some things together in your life. I don't know what brings you through the doors, but I don't believe you're here on accident, and I don't believe it's a coincidence. And so uh, we'll talk more about that later, but man, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, We're wrapping up a series that we've been in all December long. Called The Greatest Story Never Told. And the idea of the series is every year we talk about Christmas, but we talk about the same people, right? We talk about Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men, but there are some characters in the story who maybe aren't leading roles. They're not stars in the story, so to speak, but they're more supporting cast. And every week we've looked at one of those characters and we've asked the question, what can we learn from their story that will help us live a better story? So three weeks ago we looked at the story of a priest named Zechariah, and his, his story teaches us, man, if we will trust in God, the God that I believe in, the God that we sing to and worship and believe in here at First Christian, man, he is a God of the possible, and he looks at a situation that people might think is impossible, and he makes ways, okay? That's what we learned from Zechariah's story. Two weeks ago, Brian preached about a prophetess named Anna who teaches us that if we will be patient and wait on God's timing and trust, That his timing is better than ours and his plan is better than ours, then not only does it typically work out better than it would if we could call the shots, but God never fails to come through. Last week, we talked about the bad guy in the story, King Herod, and and we learned from his story that every one of us has a little potential inside of us to make things about us, and our pride and our ambition and our fear and our need for control can get in the way. But if we will surrender those things to Jesus, if we'll lay them down at his feet, then what? what we will get in exchange is the peace in our lives that so many of us desperately want and desperately need. So really, really important story. And today we're going to look at a character in Luke chapter two. If you have a Bible and you want to open up there, we'll put these verses on the screen too. So don't worry if you have a Bible or if you don't, Uh, but we're going to look at a story of somebody who is so obscure and such a minor character in the story that he's actually never mentioned in the Bible. Okay. We just kind of assume he's there and you'll see what I mean as we get into this. But before I get to that, let me give you a little background, okay? So you probably know uh, the, the gist of the story, but it's Christmas, right? So you have this couple, Mary and Joseph. Mary's a teenage girl who is engaged to be married to Joseph. And one day she's at home, and this angel just like, just appears in her living room and says, Hey, Mary, you're gonna have a baby. And she says, That's not possible. Like literally, biologically, that's not possible. Uh, She says, I'm a virgin. Kids, ask your parents about that on the way home, okay? Um, She says, it's not possible. I can't have a baby. And the angel says, this isn't any old baby. This is actually the child of God. And he's going to make this happen if you're willing. And so she's kind of on the spot. And Mary has more faith in me because I think if I were in her shoes, I'd have said, No way. She understood what this meant. Like she would be an outcast in her, in her neighborhood from her family. This would have brought a lot of shame on her. In her culture, this was a, a really, really horrible thing, right? That, that this angel's asking her to do. At least that's how it would have seemed to her. But she had this faith, right? She said, Okay, if that's God's will for me, then, then let's go let's do it and then she had to go tell Joseph imagine that conversation she shows up at his house and she's like hey Joseph we gotta talk I'm gonna have a baby and God did it and he's like yeah sure right so he decides I'm gonna divorce her But I'm going to do it quietly, which honestly, guys, that was the noble thing to do, because most people would have taken Mary straight to the religious leaders, who served not only as the religious leaders, but also the judge, jury, and executioner in their society, and they would have probably had her stoned and killed. And so the idea of divorcing her quietly was the noble thing to do, because basically to a lot of people that would have looked like they were trying to sweep the situation under the rug, and people would have assumed, hey, this probably is Joseph's baby, and they just concocted this story to kind of pass it off and now look they're just trying to kind of sweep it under the rug and dismiss it and like they don't want to make a thing out of it Uh, but he says I'm going to do this because I want to spare her life but before he can do that God appears to him in a dream and says hey Joseph actually I want you to marry her anyway just like you plan to do and provide for her and take care of her and be her husband and and Joseph obeyed And and so he takes her as his wife. Now they're married. And where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, events are starting to unfold that lead to the birth of this child. This is the way it's written, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So the Romans send out word, right? Everybody go home and register in the census. Really it was about taxation. They needed to know in all their empire who all the citizens were, their subjects, where they're from and basically how much money can we wring out of these people? How much can we count on. So they send them all home, and Joseph has to go to his hometown of Bethlehem, about 90 miles away from where he lived in Nazareth, and he has to register. Now, Mary didn't have to go. So, I've always kind of wondered why, if she's like so pregnant, why would she want to make a 90 mile journey on the back of a donkey or a horse or in a cart or whatever, travel 90 miles to go register for this census in Joseph's hometown? It didn't make any sense. But I have a theory, okay? Here's my theory I think that by this point in her pregnancy, after months and months and months of Mary being the focus of the gossip and the rumors, and the scorn and the shame in her town of Nazareth, she was ready for a road trip. Now I think she wanted to get out of town and she thought, okay, a few days away from this, I'll take it, right? Pregnant or not, let's go. So she went with Joseph and they made the 90 mile journey. Bethlehem. And then verses six and seven say, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, Bethlehem is a really small town, and it wasn't like on a common travel route, and it wasn't a destination. Probably only a few hundred people would have lived there in Jesus' day. And so, more than likely, there was no inn in Bethlehem, which is an important detail because we tend to think of this like a little Motel 6, right, on the side of the road. But probably there wasn't an in there. The word in the original language when this was written is "Cataluma," And that can be translated to in, but it can also be translated to guest room or shelter. It'd be like a common shelter where people could just stop and crash for the night. And, and uh, so it can be translated a lot of different ways. But there are a lot of Bible scholars who agree that this was probably Joseph's ancestral home. In other words, this was the home he grew up in his parents' house or his grandparents' house or an uncle owned it or a relative owned it. And so he's going home. And here's why that's important, okay? So it was customary in Jesus' day for Jewish people to be sure they had enough guest rooms in the house to have a place for everybody who was coming to visit to stay. So let's assume the possibilities. Let's, first of all, let's assume this is just some random place and some random innkeeper. And they show up, and maybe there was supposed to be a room for them, but I don't know, maybe they left late, and by the time they got there, somebody else had taken the room, and now there's no place. Let's assume the innkeeper has no ill will. This is just a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, some kind of just innocent mistake. Okay, that's a possibility. But then there's this possibility. If this was Joseph's family home, it is possible that the word traveled ahead of Mary and Joseph on the road about their situation. And all the gossip and all the rumors and all the shame would have made its way ahead of them and would have reached home before them. Again, remember, not many people live in town and a lot of them would have been family to Mary and Joseph at this point. So maybe they get to the doorway of Joseph's family home and what they face is rejection from their own family and what they're really saying is hey we don't want you to bring your mess into our home right we don't have any room for you that that's another possibility now we don't know for sure okay but if that's the case i've often wondered if that's what jesus was referring to years later When he said this in Matthew chapter 5, 11, he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I wonder if he was thinking about his own family and maybe that's what they faced even on this particular night when they got to Bethlehem. If that's the case, it's a shame because they really didn't do anything wrong. They were just obeying God, right? They just did what, what he asked them to do. And if they're facing this kind of rejection because of that, it's, it's kind of sad, but the truth is Mary would have known the minute that angel showed up and asked her to walk this road that that's what she was signing up for. It was a matter of time, and now it's happening. But regardless, they're standing at the door, and they're told there's no room. And I'm sure Joseph would have objected. If if that was me and, and my wife, Ashley, and somebody, you know, she's pregnant, and we're trying to find a place to stay, and somebody told us there's no room, I would have argued, I'd have begged, whatever it took to find a place for her to be comfortable. And I'm sure Joseph did too. But the best they got was, hey, if you'll go around the back of the house, there's a trail, you follow that down the road, and there's a little spot with some animals. You guys are welcome to crash there. I mean, it's as clean as stables get. So they just roll with the punches. They, they kind of nest up with the animals for the night. It might have been a stable. It might have been a cave. might have been a, uh, like a poor family's home where uh, often they'd bring the animals inside the home at night to keep them safe, and the animals would actually provide some heat for the family. So it might have been like that. It could have just been a, a courtyard under the stars. We don't really know. But what we do know is everything, all the circumstances around Jesus' birth point to poverty and obscurity and even, even rejection. And at first that seems a little bit sad, but actually it's kind of beautiful because everyone would have assumed that an infant king would have been born five miles down the road from Bethlehem in this major city of Jerusalem, right? The the infant king, a new king, a new baby would have been born in the palace, would have been born surrounded by by servants and subjects and comfort and and riches and splendor and and instantly would have been hailed as the next king, as the prince in the kingdom, you know? And so the fact that this, this little baby was born in in a bed made of straw that was intended for animal feed man that was that was not what people counted on but that night in a moment that mostly went unnoticed hope entered our world and drew its first breath and all of creation leaned in because for the first time God was not a distant, impersonal, silent, unengaged, uninterested God. But as Matthew puts it, he had drawn near. This is what Matthew says in chapter 1. It's written this way. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This hope was not just some distant hope that was for other people. It wasn't reserved for the religious elite. It wasn't reserved for the rich or the powerful. It wasn't even just reserved for Jewish people. See, when the angel appeared to these shepherds who would have been people who were lower class and outcasts from society, these are the people that God chose to give the good news News of Jesus to first. And the angel's message was: this is good news that will be for all people, for everybody. And then the sky rips open, and these angels begin to sing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Man, for these shepherds, this was the best news they had ever heard because for the first time God had come near. And he came in the form of this baby lying in a feed trough. And I've always wondered, okay, when these shepherds began to show up to worship this child, did the innkeeper ever figure it out? And I've wondered that night, or even in the years to come, did he ever begin to put it together that like, standing in my doorway was the mother who would give birth to the Son of God and they wanted a room to stay in my house and I turned them away. And if I was the innkeeper and I figured that out, I would have lived with regret for the rest of my life. If I had any idea, if I'm the innkeeper and I had any inclination that that night, this is the Messiah unborn and his family and they're in my doorway and they want a room in my house, I would have kicked one of my cousins out. Right? Or I'd have said, you could have my bed. Or I'd have knocked down a wall and I'd have built an addition. I have to think that's what he'd have done. He would have made room. But hey, who can really blame him? Because who would expect the savior of the world to be the unborn child of a teenage girl? Not me. So here's the takeaway. The takeaway is this. Guys, it is so easy to miss Jesus when he's right in front of you. It is so easy to miss him when he's right in front of you. Some of us, we dismiss him, okay? No room for some of us means there's no room in my life. I have goals, I have ambitions, I have a plan. And you don't have to hang around Jesus very long to figure out he doesn't wanna be a passive bystander in your life. And some of you, you need to hear that today. Jesus does not wanna be a bystander in your life. And he doesn't just want to show up in your life here and there. He, he wants to invade. He wants to disrupt. He wants to come into your life because you're trying to do it your way and it's not working somehow. And you don't need me to tell you that because you already know. And Jesus wants to come in and he wants to make things better. But to do that, some things have to change. And, and when that begins to happen, he disrupts things. This is what happened to this little shepherd boy named David who's out in the field one day. And this prophet named Samuel shows up and asks David's father, do you have any sons? And, and they go through all of them and finally get to David. And Samuel puts some oil on his head and says, hey, you didn't know this was coming, but you're going to be the next king of Israel. God entered the picture and he disrupted some things in David's life. So what happened to Moses when he's out in the desert and he's herding sheep and God appears in the form of this burning bush and says, hey, I'm gonna send you to Egypt. You're gonna go tell Pharaoh to let my people go because they're oppressed and I've heard their cries for mercy and I'm gonna deliver them and I don't wanna hear your excuses about you're not brave enough or they won't listen to you or you won't know what to say. Like, you're just gonna go and you're gonna trust me. And guys, I'm telling you, that was not in Moses' life plan. But God said, I'm gonna send you and I'll go with you came into moses's life he disrupted some things it's so what happened to a man named saul who made his living as a religious leader who traveled around and hunted down christians and arrested and imprisoned them many of them went on to be killed and he would destroy these new churches and one day he's on the road to do just that and jesus appears to him on the road and he says hey you've been messing with my church and i want you to knock it off in fact i have some other really important things for you to do and Saul went from destroying churches to planning them. He went from arresting and imprisoning Christians to leading people to Jesus and teaching them and discipling them and, and, and letting them learn how to follow Jesus by watching him. Like His whole life changed. Even his name changed. He became known as Paul. And it's all because Jesus came into the scene and began to write a different story. And maybe that's what he's doing in your life. Maybe you've seen him start to work around you and, and you're a little freaked out by that because you already understand that he wants to change some things. He's prompting that in your life. And so what you've done is you've pushed him away. Maybe you're even getting a sense that Jesus's claims are true, that he is who he said he is. And, and even, even if you believe he wants to bring joy and purpose into your life, it means change. And that can be scary. And so you've kept him at a distance. But maybe what you need to do is you need to make some room in your life so that his will can begin to unfold. Some of us, it's it's not that we want to dismiss him. It's just that we're too preoccupied. We're busy. We have a lot going on, not enough time. And it's not a problem of that I don't have space in my life. It's that I haven't made space for Jesus. But you won't experience his power in your life unless you make room so that his will can unfold I already told you my hunch about the innkeeper. I think he would have done anything to make space for Jesus. But Jesus just didn't come in the way that he expected. And so here's my challenge to you today. My challenge to you is expect Jesus. Just expect that he's going to show up in your life and be ready. Because I'm telling you, he he won't typically come in the way that you expect often look different but when he shows up he's going to invade and disrupt some things and some things are going to have to change that's what happens when an all-powerful immortal mighty god steps into the room but when he does it always gets better See, the thing that sent the shepherds out into the fields rejoicing that night like they came and they saw this baby and then they went back out singing his praises, the thing that made the wise men fall to their knees when they got there to worship this child and they gave him gifts, it it was this, that for so long they had become used to the idea that God was this distant, impersonal, silent, unengaged, uninterested God and now for the first time in this child, God had drawn near. And I want you to know today, that God is near. That means he is with you in this moment. It means that there is something he wants to do in your life. He wants to work. He wants to take your experience and make it better. And so if you're lonely today, if you're sick today, if you're fighting an addiction, if you're in the middle of a trial if you're suffering or grieving or mourning a loss, if you've grown used to the idea of God being distant and silent, just out there somewhere, but he's not personal, I want you to know today that God is not far away. In fact, he is near. That is the whole message of Christmas. Romans 8 puts it this way, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news of Christmas. It's that the word became flesh and God put skin on and hope drew near. And with us, Emmanuel means that God is with you right now. People in Jesus' day weren't ready for him. The innkeeper had no idea that all these events that are unfolding this night were God's plan to bring salvation to the world, right? Caesar calling for this census might have seemed just like a census, but actually it was God's way of getting Joseph and Mary into Bethlehem for this child to be born because centuries and centuries and centuries before this prophet gave this word from God that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which was the least likely place. And so God was working through a Roman emperor to bring about his plan. This, this innkeeper had no idea that that morning when he cleaned that manger out, that it would become the first bed for the promised king. And the people who were asleep in all those rooms meant there was no room for Mary and Joseph inside. Like all those people had no clue that just a few feet away slept the savior of the world. God has a plan and when he has a plan, he will work through any circumstance to bring it about. And God has a plan for your life. And you need to know that he will work through any circumstance to bring it about. See, God's plan was that Jesus would be born for all people and that includes you. His plan was that Jesus would be born, that he would live, that he would eventually die a criminal's death. But that he would be raised from the tomb after three days, and because of his death and resurrection, God would send mercy and forgiveness. He would make them available to us. And this child who was offered no room came to offer us a place in God's family. And so the question is what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? What do you do with the idea that God has a plan for your life? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna light some candles around the room and we're gonna sing a couple more songs before we call it a, a morning. And as we do, I want you to wrestle this question down and maybe you even begin by praying this prayer. God, just show me your will for my life. It's one simple little prayer, but I learned to pray it a long time ago, and I'm so glad I did because so often my idea or my plan is so much worse than God's will for me, and I'm so thankful for the times where God has shaken me and caused me to listen to him. So maybe that's where you start today is just by saying, God, what's your plan for my life? I don't even know why I'm here right now, but just give me that. And I'm telling you, it's not a question of will he Because he will. The question is, when he does, will you make room? See, I told you in the very beginning, I don't believe any of you are here by accident today. I don't believe in coincidences. Not like that. I think God knew that you would be here. I think he knew it yesterday when you got in a fight with your kids or your spouse. I think he knew it last week when your spouse told you they were leaving. I think God knew you'd be here today a month ago when the doctor called and gave you the news. I think God knew you'd be here today last year when you lost your job or years ago when something happened in your life that caused you to start questioning, doubting your faith. I think God knew that you would be here today, 2,000 years ago, on a night in Bethlehem under the stars, when He sent hope into the world for all people. Hope. For you. What are you going to do with that? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, I want to take a minute to thank everyone who subscribes, rates and reviews and shares this podcast. You're helping us get the good news that Jesus is for all people to even more people who need that hope. I also want to personally invite you to try Church at FCC if you aren't already connected to another church. We have services each weekend at 9 and 11 a.m. on campus and online at firstchristian.live. It's okay if you're not a church person. First Christian is a place where you can explore faith and figure it out with no pressure from us. You're welcome here either way, and we just want to help you find hope, experience community, and live with purpose along the way. So don't forget to visit hub.firstchristian.com to begin to find your next step and we'll see you again soon.